Sal Berry. They'll buy SP Authentic whether we put silver outlined circles in the background or gold outlined circles in the background. And Tim Parrish. Stuff numbered to $4.99 and $7.99 and $9.99. Stop that. That's insanity. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are going to talk about some of the players who have change teams in the off season. We're also going to talk about the upcoming three ice hockey tournament. And then we're going to talk about the rest of 2021 hockey card releases, which were released at the end of the 21-22 season. So yes, we're already looking at the 22-23 season and we're going to talk about the rest of the 2021 hockey card releases, at least the rest of what's come out thus far i think we're still waiting on the cup i don't know if we'll ever talk about that anyways because that's a set that i never am going to be able to afford to buy to talk about for a podcast others so i might talk about it from afar but anyways tim how you doing man physically mentally spiritually socioeconomically depends on what you're what you're referring to but oh, i just other, thought you were going to say you were great on all of those fronts other than that i'm i'm pretty standard right now so standard on all of those things? Your standard, yeah. That's good. That's, that's, that's good. Status quo? Yeah, pretty well. Copacetic? Since, since our last show, yeah. Yeah. Pretty, co- pretty copacetic. That's a good word, copacetic. Yeah, well, you know, we're trying to get back on the once-a-week routine slash schedule that is good. Although, I've talked to some people who are like, oh, if you want to grow a podcast, you got to do one every day. I'm just like, every day. And to those people, I say good day. Yeah, I mean, what else would I do then? I guess like a lot of people, what they do is they'll crap out a podcast and they won't edit it. And I think part of my problem is, is that I always want to edit the show because sometimes I say the wrong thing and I edit that out. Or sometimes I tell a story that goes nowhere and I edit that out. Sometimes I go off on a tangent that adds nothing to the overall quality of the show and I edit that out. And sometimes I leave it in, you know, it just depends what it is. That's why this podcast takes a little more time because it's created with love and intention and care. There you go. The one ingredient that's usually missing from most cooks food is love. Is love. Yes. So I want to talk really quick about a card show that I'm going to be selling at an upcoming card show in Rosemont, Illinois. No, not the Chicago sports spectacular that is taking place in November. But this is called the Ludex Card Show at the Skyline Room. So the Skyline Room is right next to Allstate Arena, where the Chicago Wolves AHL team plays hockey. And they also have concerts there at Allstate Arena. So the Skyline Room is like this big room that they have like events at. There's going to be a card show there Saturday, August 27th from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. There's going to be, I think, 100 dealers. I don't know if they said... There's 100 tables. I don't know if it's 100 dealers and 100 tables, but I'm one of the dealers that's going to be set up at this show. Saturday, August 27th, 9 to 4. The address on that is 10351 Lunt Avenue in Rosemont, Illinois. The link to it is on Puck Junk. If you go to the top on the right, I have a list of upcoming card shows. There's a link to that with more information, including directions. There are going to be two free autograph guests. Former Chicago White Sox Joe Creedy is going to be signing free autographs for the first 200 guests and former Chicago bear from the 1985 Super Bowl 20 team. Willie Galt is also going to be signing 
pre-autographs for the first 200 guests at 1.30 p.m. And then Andrew Vaughn, who's currently on the White Sox, is going to be a paid autograph guest. So if you want his autograph, you got to pay for it. No hockey signers at this show. They did a show last month that had a couple of football players and I think one baseball player. This month, they got two baseball players and a football player. I'm hoping that this show continues because then we're getting into hockey season. I'm hoping we start to get some hockey players signing autographs. But they did the show in July. It was really well received. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody that I spoke to, whether they were a dealer at that show or just somebody attending the show to buy stuff, said that it was a really good show. I mean, that the free autographs at last month's show were good, too. So, yeah, check it out. Um, I'll also put a link to it in the comments. You going to go to it? Um, it's this weekend? Nope, next weekend, 27th. I, I will not. Okay. I have a gig. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we will be playing that day. Do you want to talk about your gig? I mean, I can. It's a charity event, and we do it every year. And it, it benefits the uh, Indiana Hoosier Burn Camp. The Hoosier Burn Camp, it's a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And the, the whole idea is they're set up to provide life-changing experiences for, for young kids that uh, suffer through the physical and emotional traumas associated with having severe burns um, and injuries due to, to fires and, and things like that. So they run a camp every year uh, with uh, monthly events and things like that to help the kids and give them like a, an environment where they are safe and supported and all that kind of good stuff. So every year there's a event uh, nearby where we live. It's a big charity thing that's conjunction with a poker run and all of that kind of stuff. So, and we play, so we provide music at the, at the end. So that's, so. so you could go to the card show that I'm selling at, and you could go to the concert that Tim's playing at. Probably a lot of driving, but sure, the more the merrier. Right. So, new team, who dis? We got a lot of people change teams in the offseason, either due to trades or due to free agency. You know, we've already talked about some of them. I know I went on my soapbox about all the Blackhawks trades, and then they signed a bunch of players, and I'm just like, all right, whatever. And then, um, yeah, I mean, we got a lot of, People moving around. It's going to be weird to see Brent Burns not in a Sharks jersey, but with the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, I know Burns was a Minnesota Wild, but when he was with the Wild, he was kind of like the young, beardless. He had no facial hair and all his teeth when he was with the with the Wild. And when he went to the Sharks, he was missing teeth and had that crazy beard. So that's when he really came in to become one of the league's best players. So it's going to be weird to see him in a Carolina Hurricanes uniform. Of course, I'm sure, you know, the hockey cards that come out for the next two years will probably still picture him as a shark, but whatever. So that's only because the ones that come out for the next two years are going to be the ones from 2018 and 19 that still haven't come out yet. Yeah. So. No, no, no. All the pre-pandemic stuff is out. Now we're dealing on that. Uh, we're I still know. getting stuff I from that. I was exaggerating. But it's funny to think that the 2021 season was only, what, 56 games? And it was like where teams just played within their own division. 
and they weren't fans in the stands for most of the games, although there was travel between the cities. But it's like we're still getting hockey cards for that, and it's just kind of weird. I mean, and we're also getting, like, current cards as well, but it's just weird to be, like, getting, like, and we'll talk about this, but we're getting, like, the higher-end cards for 2021 mixed in with, like, the regular cards and some of the higher end cards for 2122. Yeah. And it does make for a confusing landscape, especially for newer collectors. Right. Who want to start collecting and then they're finding stuff from like a year and a half. Wait, what? This is a new product, but it says 2020 on it. As far as like the new players on different teams, which ones do you want to talk about? Because I'm kind of indifferent to most of them. The only one I'm not really indifferent to is Jonathan Huberto going to Calgary and Matthew Kachuk going to Florida. I like that. I like Matthew Kachuk. I think it's cool that he's going to play on an American team, although I loved him in Calgary. But I think I'm going to love him in Florida just as much. So you're saying you'd rather have the American on the American team and send Frenchie up north is what you're trying to say. No, I mean, I like Huberto as well. (laughs) Look, I've always liked Jonathan Huberto. I think I've always thought he's a great player and he's a phenomenal, just a phenomenal person too. And having to spend all of his time on a team like Florida, I mean, no offense to Florida, but I think that's hurt him career wise. And also, like, if we're talking hobby wise, definitely hobby wise, because I mean, let's face it, Florida Panthers aren't uh, blowing people's socks off at least track record wise, as far as uh, collectability, except for the diehard fans that are there. So I think he got buried. He's going to have a lot more exposure in Calgary, especially considering it's a Canadian team. So there's going to be more eyeballs on him, more cameras in his face. I think he's going to have a chance to, to shine a little bit more. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a better, mo- a better move for him. Mm-hmm. I thought for sure there was going to be some deal made like last second for Matthew Kachuk on the Blues. I thought that was like, it's going to happen. On the Blues? Yeah. Yeah. But sure enough, it didn't. I figured he was going to go to his hometown team, and that was going to be it, because that would have been the storyline of all storylines. Right. Nope, he ends up in Florida. I don't know if the get was even, because you figure Kachuk goes and a pick. And so they get Huberto, they get Mackenzie Weger, they ended up with Cole Schwint, and a first-round pick. So I don't know if Kachuk was worth all of that. Mm-hmm. But I guess we'll see. He's a polarizing guy, right? Some people like him. Some people hate him. Because he's one of those players that he gets in your face and gets you know, gets dirty. And some people don't like that kind of stuff. He's kind he's of the, an agitator. The guy you like to have on your team and the guy that yeah. you need to play against. And we, we right. all talk about those players. Right. And there's plenty of those in the league to go around. And it's, you know, it's one of those things. But he's a highly marketable player. And I think he'll, he should do well in Florida, especially with the surrounding cast. And if, if things go the way that people predict they go, you know, I mean, you're talking about a team that was the president's trophy winner. So, right. You know, how can you dismantle a team completely knowing that you had something that was at least the best team during the regular season? So it'll be interesting. I mean, yeah, Huberto was a big piece of that, though. And I think Mackenzie Weger was, too. I don't think Matthew Kachuk replaces those 
players, but he makes the team different. I don't either, and that's why it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. So who wins the trade? I don't know. I hate making that comparison, especially this early. Uh, so it's hard to say. But, yeah, that was definitely an intriguing one. I mean, you got to talk about the trade of all trades, and that's Johnny Hockey moving closer to home, if you can see my air quotes, mm-hmm. since he, he decided to settle down in Columbus, of all places, uh, rather than going closer to uh, Philadelphia area where he came from or New Jersey or, you know, New York area, you know, that's more where his family, right. from that, that general locale, but he chose Columbus based off of what he said. Some former teammates had told him, mm-hmm. I don't know if I buy that, but you know, here we are, but blue jackets fans are excited. I can tell you that much. Well, Super yeah. excited. They have an exciting young, still young. Well, he looks young. <laughs> I mean, he looks, well, I'm old, so everybody looks like a kid. But I was surprised that he didn't go to New Jersey. I kind of really thought, and I don't know what the cap room was for the Devils, but I really kind of thought that the Devils were going to try to get the Brinkett and Goudreau, at least one of them, if not both of them somehow, and then really just become like, boom, a contender then because they already have a lot of great young players on their teams, and I feel like those two would have just put them over the top. But you can't be the 2002 Red Wings where it's like, okay, I'm just going to buy everybody up, and 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 they're going to play for the Red Wings for a year, and we're going to win the Cup. You know what I mean? Like, the salary cap obviously makes it much more difficult, but I was surprised. But, you know, someone's got to play for Columbus, right? I don't know. There were so many players that were exiting there and wanting to leave saying various things about the town and the, the, the team and, and everything else that it seemed like no one wanted to play for Columbus for a little while there. Do we want to start a rumor and say that Columbus is the Ottawa of the United States? I don't know if I go that far. I think we did try to start that rumor before. <laughs> you know, you want to talk about collectability in players. Like, I know I was joking about this, but also kind of serious. Like, Alex DeBrinket was traded to the Ottawa Senators. And I said to myself, you know, if DeBrinket got traded to the Devils, I would have sold all my DeBrinket rookie cards at the National because there was a bunch of Devils fans and they would have been like, oh, do you got any Alex DeBrinket? And they would have bought it. I guess the point I'm making is when a player changes teams and they go from one team to another team or a less popular team, how it stifles their collectability. I mean, yeah. When's the last time you heard anybody talk about Phil Kessel? Right. Prime example. You know, here's a guy that, you know, he's arguably a top player in the NHL. But Mm -hmm. yet he's been on Arizona. And when do people talk about Arizona? He's still not signed, I don't think. I think he's a group three free agent, even though Lawson Krause finally signed Mm -hmm. in Arizona. And they picked up a couple other guys. But I'm really starting to think in my head, who wants to play for the Coyotes when – we're going to have to play at least a full season in front of 5,000 people. I mean, granted, that's double the capacity of their normal home games, but it only holds 5,000. So you never know. When somebody cool comes into town, like the Penguins, for instance, they may actually sell 5,000 tickets. I'm kidding. Don't at me. Seriously. I'm just kidding. That, it's a joke. That actually sounds like kind of fun now to go to a Coyotes game if there's only 5,000 seats. 
I think it would be. I mean, small arena, you know, small venue. Like right. just like going to see a concert. It's always funner. Funner. It's always funner. Did I really just say that? It's always you more did. fun to see like bands in smaller venues. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like the venue you'll be playing in in two weeks. Oh, that's really small, and it's not a really. It's a it's a bar. It's not a venue. <laughs> oh, so it doesn't seat five thousand. Uh no, it probably doesn't seat five. Five hundred. No five. Five dozen. Just five. Just five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's enough room for my band plus one person. Right. It. No, it's this place. It's decent size, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. So yeah, so that I mean that was a, that was another big one. Back to you know, Johnny Hockey signing. Boy, the Blackhawks were busy, weren't they, with their fire sale? And you know, then they re-signed some of their free agents and picked up a few guys here and there to fill in some glaring holes in their lineup. Basically, the Blackhawks were like, "Are you a third-line player? Will you play for cheap? Would you like to play in Chicago for a year or two? We can sign you. I am really surprised that we still haven't heard at this point either Kane or Taze or their agents pipe up and say, my client is waiving their no-trade clause. Oh, they're gonna. Get them out of here. It's gonna happen. We know it's I mean, gonna happen. It's just when. I mean, these are fran- longtime franchise players that you could see retiring on those teams. But, I mean, let's be honest. These guys aren't getting any younger. Kane doesn't show any signs of slowing down. You know, we all know that Taze has had his issues, his health issues and stuff over the last couple of years. But with that being said, do you really want to spend the next two years, at least three years, maybe four years doing a rebuild on a team that's doing a rebuild? I mean, who knows? They could come out next season and blow everybody away and, run away with the league and win a cup with a bunch of nobodies who knows that's why we play the games right but i I don't know that fire sale was baffling to me it was just baffling so kane and taves are both in the last year of their contract they're both in the last year of their contract 10.5 million dollars each or ufas after the 22-23 season so they have no movement clauses, so they could literally just play the season, make their money, sign with any team they want, and that's that. The incentive for them getting traded is maybe they say, hey, trade us to a contending team or teams, depending, and they got the same agents, so and they got identical deals, although Kane is obviously the more tradable player so assuming he wanted to be traded, I mean, he could say, yeah, trade me to the Florida Panthers. It looks like they have a good shot this year, right? Or trade me to the Lightning. They might do it this year. You know what I mean? Or, or whatever. And, you know, the Blackhawks would want to get a pick in return or an asset. But that's the thing from a management standpoint for a team that's quote unquote rebuilding. Do you want players? Do you want a $10 million player walking out the door for nothing? I mean, really? It's beneficial to you to get as much as you can right now to stockpile your cupboard because once the cupboard goes bare, you're out of luck. Right, but they gave him that deal. That's the whole idea of a no-movement clause. Right, and you need to get him to say, I agree, I'll go somewhere if you want to trade me. 
but I'm going to dictate the terms. So then you got to find a team that's willing to take on that $10 million. And there aren't many teams out there that can afford that salary. I mean, they're going to have to rework it. And I seriously doubt that you're going to see either of those players sign another deal with somebody for that much money. No, I mean, I really can't see it. They made the best money that they were going to make in the best years of their career. And that's what smart players do is they figure it out. They figure out a way where they're making their best money before they're 35. You see a lot of guys who are like 32 or 33 and they sign for like big money and then they can't put up the same numbers that they did. And it's just the teams are like, oh, this guy's a free agent. We want to sign him. And he had four really good years, but their career is, you know, as they say on the back nine, I hate that golf metaphor, but you get the idea. But you can't make something of yourself as an individual in a team sport when management's not committed to building a team around you. And that's the thing. There's so many players out there that have that mindset of I'm going to get my money and then I can do whatever I want. And it's a little different in hockey. I I think I make a a bigger comparison sports wise in general, but I think hockey is slightly different. And you do have players like a Sidney Crosby who's willing to take the proverbial hometown discount so that you can build a team around him and you have Mm -hmm. enough money. Mm -hmm. And people say, oh, you can't use Crosby as an example. Well, I mean, here's one that happened a couple of weeks ago. Patrice Bergeron signed the one-year deal to go back to Boston. And look what he took. He signed a one-year, $2.5 million contract. You telling me right now, even though he's 37 years old, $2.5 million contract, there isn't a team that would have paid him <laughs> double that? No, there was, league? of course. There's plenty of teams that were willing to do that. But he flat out said in an interview, I heard him multiple times say that, He's kind of looks at what Crosby did, and he realizes that in order to have a good team, you got to be willing to make some sacrifices to play with good players and have a chance to win. And so here he is taking that contract, and Boston, of course, signed, pulled David Krejci back from the Czech Republic, too, for a million dollars, which I think was a pretty good deal. So you have that kind of thing. So I think Kate's worth more than two and a half million. I think he's worth more than five. I think he's probably worth more than eight. I don't know that he's worth more than 10, especially with this the current salary cap situation with most teams. But you never know. I mean, somebody might be willing to fork out the money and dump a lot of stuff on the back end, and who knows what happens after that. I think it would be fun. This is just me spitballing, but I think it would be fun for uh, Stevie Y to get on the phone and make a deal and bring Kane to Detroit. <laughs> Ooh, that would sting. I'd be like another Chelios to Detroit. That stung. Definitely would, but I think with the team that's being built in Detroit, they're going to be, I don't know about this season, but in a couple years, I think they might be scary, honestly. I think if a team is going to give up a lot to get Patrick Kane, either during the season or at the trade deadline or whatever, they'd want to have him beyond just as a rental player. They'd probably want to have like maybe at least a chance of signing him in the off season. So first of all, he'd have to approve a trade anyways. So if right, it's this like, is all moot point unless he, do, he would do that. So right, we're, right, we're right, right, right. Completely hypothetically here. And I, I wasn't trying to make this the Chicago Blackhawks discussion hour, 
because you know I'm really fed up with the team. And no, uh, but it's it's important and it's and it's relevant to what we're talking about. He's here. an important player. I mean, he's he's one of the hundred best sellers of all time. So you know they made a lot of three, moves. So. They made a lot of changes. They're rebuilding a team, and here's a superstar that's sitting there wondering WTF. You know, right. So no, it's it's completely relevant. Here's the thing: a rebuild is like five, six, seven years. Just like the Pittsburgh Pirates, they're in year eighteen of a five-year rebuild. No, no, but but think of it this way: if you look at the Pittsburgh Penguins, who won in two thousand nine, all those guys that helped them get to that championship were pretty much from the last five years. You could say Mark Andre Fleury was the first player in that line of players to help them win the cup in 2009. Then you look at their two cups, what was it, 15 and 16? And they had Latang, they had Fleury, they had Crosby, they had Malkin, but then they had a whole bunch of new guys that were added after the 2009 championship year, but then up to 2015, right? So it was like another five-year rebuild almost. You see what I mean? So if the Blackhawks are like, we're going to rebuild, it's going to take them like five years, five, six years to really be a contending team. If they're going to rebuild through the draft. Because in 2010, pretty much all those guys, I mean, there were some trades. There was a free agent signing with like Marion Hosa being the big one and Brian Campbell being the other big one. But you look back, Duncan Keith was drafted, Brent Seabrook, Kane, Taves, Bufflin, you know, all those guys were added through the draft. So the Hawks are going to have to do that again. So if Patrick Kane really wants to stick around for the rebuild, which he did say he did want to do at one time, if he's serious about that, you know, and he wants to spend the rest of his career with the team, play here till he's 40, 41. If the team is going to contend again and like they did in 2015, it's going to take time. I could see completely both scenarios and I'd be fine with either one. Right. If he decided to leave, I could see that and I don't blame him. And if he decided to stay, I could see that too. And I wouldn't blame him. I will say this, though, as a longtime Blackhawk fan, and not only that, but somebody who just has an appreciation for the history of hockey and the history of the Blackhawks, too, is that we get robbed of, like, seeing our players retire. Like, Bobby Hall went to the World Hockey Association. That was a big deal at the time. But we saw Bobby Hall basically retire with another team, and we saw... Chris Chelios, even though he started with the Canadiens, he became the Hall of Famer that he was with the Blackhawks, but he went to another team. I guess the point is, is that like, it sucks when you have like a player for a long time and then they like go spend the rest of their career with another team. We just don't, you look at like a Steve Eiserman or like a Mario Lemieux and those guys just spent their whole career with one team. And that's awesome. And I guess I just kind of want to see that happen with the Chicago Blackhawks player and Maybe it's and not going to be. It's extremely hard to do in this cap era. Well, it's it is, extremely yeah. Extremely hard to do. You have to have guys, like I said, you have to have guys like a Patrice Bergeron or a Sidney Crosby that understand the whole entirety of the game right. and how it works and are willing to take less than maybe their actual market value is in order to be on those teams as a lifelong player or be on those teams in times of trying to build a championship. Mm-hmm. And willing to take those steps to get there. And it's really tough. It's hard. This is not a era for longevity. That's for sure. Here's a great example. Look what the Islanders did for free agency. And the silence is deafening. Because mm-hmm. they did nothing. 
nothing. They did absolutely nothing. They didn't really sign anybody. They didn't sign any of their UFAs. They didn't trade really for anybody. They essentially did nothing. Why? I don't know. It could boil down to a lot of things, but I guess it comes down to being in in cap trouble. You know, you can't really do a whole lot when you're in those situations. But you have other teams like the Ottawa Senators, for instance. I mean, look what Ottawa did. You know, Ottawa was able to bring in Claude Giroux, who signed a three-year contract with them. You know, they just signed Josh Norris. They signed Mm -hmm. Josh Norris to like an eight-year, 60-million contract. And he's only 23 years old, so now you got a guy that you can build around. And, you know, all the other moves that they made throughout that whole process and getting guys locked up to where they have a competitive team, you know, now people can't ignore the Ottawa Senators any longer. They have to at least start paying attention. You get other teams like the Penguins who are completely cash-strapped and really didn't have a lot of movements to make. And they sign all of their oldest players and get criticized by everybody in the press. You still have Crosby under contract for another year or two. So they decide to sign Malkin. They signed Latang. Well, they signed Latang first. They finally assigned signed Malkin too to a four-year extension on his contract. Um, actually, it would be a new contract because his contract was expired. But so here's three guys, your three oldest players basically on the team, and locked them all up to be basically lifelong penguins. So now what do you do? You have all this money devoted in those guys. So now you have to try to fill in some blanks and bring guys up and sign God knows what's available out there. So they kind of did. I was surprised at some of the guys that were willing to take less money. And I thought for sure like a Danton Heinen was going to get more money on the on the market. Instead, he stays there for a year, signs another contract. So it's just weird. You know, I expected to see a lot more moves by Seattle, to be honest with you. You know, I figured they got hosed in the draft, and I don't think they did very well in the expansion draft to build the team, to be honest with you. But, you know, they had a lot of picks and, and things to do, and I don't know. Nothing that they did really stood out to me that much, to be honest. I don't know. That'll be interesting. I mean, they signed Carson Kuhlman. They got Burakovsky. I don't know. Like I said, nothing's jumping off the page for them. You know, they already had Morgan Geeky. They just re-signed him. Mm-hmm. You know, I like I like him as a player. But there were really huge movements, and then there were also lots of little bit players changing places. So it'll be interesting to see once the season starts because it's going to take at least a few weeks to get used to hearing names and, and seeing them in other jerseys. Yeah, and by the time the hockey cards come out with these players, they'll be in their jerseys from 2020-2021 or maybe 2021-2022. You know, it'll be probably won't be till 2024 until we get a Brent Burns card where he's in a Carolina Hurricanes jersey. I bet later in the season we might we might see some stuff. Maybe. I mean, at least I mean and we're gonna we're gonna talk about some 2021 hockey cards, but like you know, we still got 21, 22 extended coming up, which, you know, it's not going to have, obviously, any of these trades or free and agent signings. Uh, but tomorrow, next day, Wednesday, I think. Well, at least flagship is, like, kind of normal with its uh, release dates. It's still set up for November, so. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, It hasn't changed yet. 
as the card market is trying to kind of get back to where it was. You know, one thing that I found out in an article was a Sports Illustrated article, but as I probably mentioned on the show before, and if not, I guess I'll mention it now, I recently wrote a really big piece for the hockey news called Hockey Card Comeback, uh, which is in their uh, current issue on the newsstand, the Champions issue. Um, It's also published on their website as The Great Hockey Card Comeback, which sounds a little more uh, exciting, uh, and it has been kind of exciting. But one factoid that I put in my article was that the cardstock used on trading cards was the same cardstock used in those uh, rapid COVID tests, which is why card companies had a hard time putting out the cards, because that same type of cardstock was used for COVID tests. So there you go. It's like, what do you want? A new pack of uh, upper deck or some COVID-19 tests, right? So just thought that was kind of interesting that like, we think of this card stock, but it was useful. It had it had another use for a completely different thing as well. Until they fix supply chain issues, I mean, we could still see delays in the foreseeable future. What Big Pharma should have done is they should have been like, hey, sell us your common cards that you don't want so that we could use that card stock to make our COVID tests. Instead of like going after the same paper that Upper Deck wants and Tops wants and Panini wants, they should have just like, you know, let the cards get made and people open it. Oh, I got a bunch of base cards I don't want. Then you could send that, you know, to Pfizer or whomever, and then they can make their COVID tests. And then I guess it kind of be hard, though, because they wouldn't be white card stock where you could see like the little line show up on it. Yeah, that would make it a little difficult. OK, so my silly idea was a stupid idea. I'm sure there's a way to do it. You'd have to put the recycling aspect into it. Yeah. which would make them cost more. Let's talk about three ice. Sure, let's talk about three ice. Now, I will admit, I I was excited about three ice, and I I've watched it when I could watch it. I missed the first week. I watched the second week. I watched the third week. I think I watched the fourth week. And then when I was at the National, it wasn't even on my mind. I didn't even think about it. I was just too tired, too busy, too whatever that weekend and then the other weekend I went to that wedding in Buffalo so my Saturday was spoken for when I've watched it I've loved it and I gotta tell you you know I like the on ice action I like the three on three action I'll tell you one thing that I love and one thing that I don't love one thing that I love I love the play-by-play team they're awesome they are so that's the Penguins team that's the Penguins team, right? Bob Airy. Bob Airy. And Steve Mears. Steve Mears. Okay, so yeah, yeah Steve Mears and Bob Airy. Yeah. They talk. They're always fun to listen to. They do the play-by-play, but sometimes they'll tell stories, and that's okay because you could see what's going on, and you don't need to hear every play being called. But then they'll interrupt it to, oh, goal by so-and-so. And then without skipping a beat, they'll go back to telling their story. Yeah, and they had, for most of the games, they had uh, Nick Ismadi on the bench talking to the coaches and everybody else. And he does the broadcast for the Kraken, too. Yes, Ismadi used to be with the Blackhawks. Yeah. And, you know, I feel like he was underutilized with the Blackhawks. So I was glad to see him have an expanded role with Three Ice, and I'm glad to hear that he's with the Kraken because he's a good broadcaster. So I really like the broadcast team. The one thing I don't like about the three ice 
broadcasts is I don't like the boards being animated while the players are skating. There's too much motion. I just want to focus on the player and the puck. I like the animated dasher boards. I think that's a great idea. It's something I wanted to see when I was a kid. I always thought it would be cool, like, if the boards, like, lit up and, like, had the name of the player when they, like, scored the goal. Like, you know, goal by Gretzky, like, going around the boards, right? I thought that would have been really cool. I don't like animated advertisements while I'm trying to focus on the play. I don't mind that they're animated. They could be animated during the stoppage of play. But I think while the play is going on, either just have static images or just solid colors, or a lot of the times they'll say like Team Carbono and Team Fuhrer. And I like that, that they kind of tell you what the sides are on the boards. I think that's kind of cool. It kind of adds almost like a video game element to it that I appreciate. Yeah, I was going to say it's more video game oriented. Look, it's supposed to be loud and flashy and in your face. That's just more loud and flashiness. It's really all it is. Speaking of loud and flashy, that's what this is. And I've enjoyed watching. I think I've only, of the eight weeks so far, I think I only missed maybe one, one week. And it was the week they were in London, Canada, up in Ontario, uh, which would have been like middle of July at some point. Every week, the competition's been great. The play has been great. The pace of the game is unbelievable. You know, I was kind of skeptical at first to be like, where are the goals going to come from? Is there going to be any goaltending at all once these guys get up to speed and stuff? And I've been pleasantly surprised with the product on the ice, and I'm, I'm glad they brought this product out. It's great. I mean, it's absolutely great. And this upcoming weekend is the championship. Everything is on the line. A million dollar winner take all. I find it funny that the two teams that did not make the playoffs were Team Carbono and Team Fuhr. So here basically we have one team that was coached by a Hall of Fame Selkie Trophy winner Man, they had trouble scoring goals during the season. Mm -hmm. Team Carbono, which I thought was kind of funny. Like, okay, one of the best defensive forwards in the game can't teach his guys how to score goals. Okay, that's kind of a cheap shot, but you get what I'm saying, right? But then the other team that didn't have a lot of goals for or actually had less was Team Fuhrer. Oh, Team Um, Fuhrer, they only won one game through the whole tournament. Out of eight weeks, they only played 12 games because they were eliminated. Now, I know it's a little unfair because some of these other teams got to play more games, right? They had more games played, but still. Only because just, they made it on because it's an elimination. Right, right, right. So it's kind of unfair for me to say, well, Team Fear only had 30 goals in 12 games, but just. You got to yeah, win, though. That's the thing. You got to win, and that's the they, thing. So, like. They finished on a 10-game losing streak. The team led by one of the greatest defensive forwards of all times. And the team led by one of the greatest goaltenders of all times could not score goals. And then you have like Team Mullen and Team LeClaire and Team Trottier. And those teams got like tons of goals, you know. So it's just kind of funny how that worked out. The thing is with watching the games week by week, Team Mullen was a far superior team to all of the other teams on the ice in almost every single week. And I mean, they showed it. They won five in a row, you know, to finish off the regular season. They scored 99 goals in 21 games. 
So they ended up 16 and five through all the weeks of tournaments total. 16 and five. So Team Trachi was was below them. They had 15 points to Team Mullins 32. So that's the difference between first and second place. Mm-hmm. It's a huge difference. Huge. But it's funny because you watch those teams play and the players on Team Mullen were, I mean, if they do this next year, I got to get my words out right here. Mm-hmm. If they do this next year, which they already said they're going to, somehow, some way, I think they need to find a better way to balance the teams because mm-hmm. when you look at the overall, I mean, you break down the list of just goal scorers of the top 10, Team Mullen has four or five of the top 10 goal scorers. Right. Just on their team. And, you know, they have the top goal scorer, Joe Whitney. He won the Gold Helmet Award, so he gets to wear it for the finals. And that's their... pretty uh, cool. I like that, actually. Yeah, whoever wins the week in goals gets to wear the Gold Helmet the next week until they get dethroned in goals. So you'll have one player from one of the teams, whoever the goal leader is, wearing the Gold Helmet for that week so that is kind of cool the best thing is kind of what was announced i think it was just like a week ago ej johnson the ceo of three ice and one of the founders Mm -hmm. basically said that every metric that they wanted to measure under for this year they hit it out of the park to use a baseball reference and they consider this season a success and they're looking forward to next year. And I think that's really cool that they're still sticking with that. Because if you remember when we had Craig Patrick on the show and he was talking about it, and I asked him, what's the long-term goal of this going forward past season one? And, you know, he talked about how, you know, they have plans for, you know, expanding. They have plans for starting a, like a youth level organization mm-hmm. for this um, and just kind of build from there. and. You know, Johnson said in this interview that they're going to follow the same model. They're going to expand, possibly overseas, and they're going to start the youth program as early as not this coming season, but the following. So they're still on track to do, you know, everything that they had set out to do from inception. So I think that's really good. And I'm anxious to see where it goes from here. I can't wait to see the tournament this weekend because it has has the makings to be a, a pretty good one. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, the guys are out there. There's a lot of ice. They're able to do a lot more with the puck. Guys are pulling off trick shots and, and all kinds of crazy insanity that you don't necessarily get an opportunity to see too much in the NHL. I think one thing that surprised me, I don't have all their statistics in front of me, so I can't really verify this, but I thought that the teams that had former NHL players were going to be the more dominant teams. Like, I thought, like, okay, well, uh, you know, one team has Brian Malone. And I'm, like, thinking, okay, well, that team kind of has an unfair advantage. He's on uh, Team Fuhrer. So I Mm -hmm. thought, yeah, and so I thought, well, that played in the NHL for, like, 10 years, right? I mean, who wouldn't want that guy on their team, right? And I even look at, like, you know, you had, like, another team that had Aaron Poloshev, and then you had another team that had TJ Hensick. And both of those guys spent some time in the NHL. And I think about, like... When you see a former NHLer play overseas and then they get like 60, 70 goals, you would think that like a former NHLer would have a greater impact on the team. And that wasn't really the case there. 
I kind of almost thought, well, it's just kind of unfair. Like every team should have like an ex NHL veteran as like, you know, their go-to guy, their captain, wh- whatever, you know what I mean? Just for that experience, but that doesn't necessarily make you a faster player. I mean, there's other things that come into play here. No, I mean, just look at what I was saying earlier of the guys that were the top players in the league, as far as, you know, the goal scorers and the point getters, Joe Whitney topped the list. People are like, who? Exactly. Joe Whitney. Right. Joe Whitney was tearing it up in the ECHL before he came over to play in three eyes. Right. And most people are like, how would I know that? Because I don't pay attention to the ECHL. Well, exactly. Because it's not the NHL. It's not even the AHL. It's below that. So your top goal scorers are like Joe Whitney, Tim Kaufman, Tyler Murovich, Kevin Fitzgerald. These aren't household names by any means. Right. These aren't names that you recognize as even being former NHLers necessarily. Right. You know, I was impressed with seeing some of the goals that John Chiavo scored like week in and week out. The guy was always doing like between the leg stuff. And Peter Lennis, I mean, come on. Yeah, he has lots of videos of doing trick shots and stuff, but I never thought he'd be able to actually pull them off in live gameplay. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, he was stuck on Team Fuhrer, so we didn't get to see him very much. But in the few games he he was in, it was still f- fun to watch. So, But, I mean, you're right. You would think that some of the teams with the experience would float to the top, and I don't think that was really the case in this. But, I mean, it's it's a different game, too, because you think about, like, in order to play in the NHL, you can't just be a fast player. There's a lot of other aspects as well. There's a more physical approach. And here, there's no hitting. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because what does hitting do? Hitting prevents scoring. And three ice's motto is the best part of hockey, which is scoring, right? right? So they basically eliminated everything that could get in the way of scoring other than a goaltender. You got three players who are forward slash defense. Got a lot of open ice. Yeah, you have a goaltender. But... I always find it funny when people are like, well, maybe they need to make the nets bigger. Maybe they need to make the goalie equipment smaller. Well, I kind of agree with the goalie equipment to some extent, but three ice, there's lots of scoring. Of course, there's lots of open ice and there's no hitting. So it is a different sport in some sense, but it doesn't matter. It's fun. It is. You you remember one of the concerns that I brought up to Craig when he came on with us was the goalies are going to get shellacked. I mean, this is just going to be an onslaught of you know, shots on goal. And if you look at the six guys that spent most of the time in the net for most of the competition, the two eliminated teams don't have as many games on the books. But look at how many goals against there were, if you look statistically. I mean, the top goalie, if you're looking at save percentage-wise, was 83%. 83.09, mm-hmm. that's the best save percentage for a guy that played more than 10 games in the tournament. How does that translate to, let's say, NHL? Not very freaking good, you know? No, but again, but, different you know, You're talking about 83, you know, an 83 save percentage, having to face 272 shots in 18 games. I mean, that's insanity. It's absolute insanity. But, you know... Well, I mean, what's a standard NHL game would be about 30 saves in a game, but that's a 60-minute game. And these are, what, two eight-minute halves? Two eight-minute halves, yes. You can do the math and figure that out. I mean, you're facing a lot of freaking shots. It's definitely entertaining. It's entertaining, but getting back to that video game metaphor, this 
you know, now I, I think about it, this reminds me a lot of, remember Wayne Gretzky 3D hockey for Nintendo 64? I don't know if I ever played that one. What about NHL 2 on 2 Open Ice for PlayStation? Definitely didn't play that because I didn't have um, PlayStation. Well, it was also a coin-op. Oh, yeah. I wasn't big into, big into that. Now, NHL Hits. Okay. But that game a lot for GameCube. I had NHL Hits 2002 for GameCube. Was that five on five or three on three? It was three players because you had three players on the ice. Mm-hmm. And then you had six guys on the bench. If you lost a fight three times, you were kicked out. Ah, so uh, open ice by Midway and then um, Wayne Gretzky 3D Hockey. That was like one of the launch titles. That was actually the first sports game for the Nintendo 64 was Wayne Gretzky 3D Hockey. and uh, But that was three on three. But again, it had like ridiculous action with like, nets that would like blow up sometimes i confuse the two because they were kind of like almost the same game but the one that was more like nba jam the play-by-play was by blackhawks play-by-play guy pat foley because midway's a chicago company so i remember spending a ton of money at the arcade you could type in your name and it would keep your scores and it would keep your records and i remember like you probably had to spend like two dollars to play like the whole three period game or something but then it would keep track of all your stats and i remember when that came out for playstation i'm like all right i gotta get a playstation because it was just so cool you and three friends would play this game and you'd hit a guy and he'd go flying across the rink and then you'd like shoot the puck and like the net would blow up and start on fire and foley would go he's on fire but then like you had a lot of the same play mechanics in the three-on-three Gretzky game, where it was just like fast action, lots of passing, lots of shooting, lots of big saves, but lots of big goals. So, you know, that's what this is feeling like to me with the three ice. It's really feeling like a video game. See, I didn't have the PlayStation. I had the N64, but I never got the Gretzky game. I think the only NHL game I had for 64, I had NHL 99, which that was just regular NHL game. So I didn't have any of the goofy ones. NHL 99, I'm trying to think, was that, was uh, Lintros on the cover of it? Yeah. NHL Face-Off 99 had Chelios on the cover. And NHL 99, I think, had Lindros on the cover. They had NHL Breakaway 98 also, but I didn't have that one. That had Keith Kachuk on the front. I know Yager was on Blades of Steel 2000. I could never find that game. I don't think it was much like a Blades of Steel game, though. Wasn't it more like a EA type of game at that point? I think it tried to be. Because we had a demo of it set up, and it didn't have good gameplay. It wasn't smooth. I just remember it being weird, and just it just didn't feel right at all. Yeah, I think it. We never had it in stock, and and we never carried it. Like we had it as a demo, but we never had it in stock. Wait, wait, wait. where were you working at the time? Walmart. Oh, cool. I worked at Walmart all through college, and then a little bit the following year. You had that game set up to play. Yeah, we had a 64 that we would always play in the department. Yeah, well, I think at that point, like, I mean, we should do a show about video games because I can never stop talking about hockey video games. I think by, like, the late 90s, the only games that people really liked were either the NHL games because they were realistic and that was kind of equated to being fun. Like, cause this pushing their envelope of being more and more realistic or stuff that was just kind of crazy and out there, like the Gretzky 3d hockey, cause it was more run and gun arcade style. And yeah. I think if you were kind of like caught in the middle of those, 
people were going to go for one or the other. Like, if you were trying to be realistic, people would be like, oh, I'm just going to play the EA game. And if you were trying to be fun, then they were going to gravitate towards, like, Gretzky 3D Hockey or maybe later on Hits. Right. And like you I know. said, Hits, I didn't even have that until we had an NFL Blitz on 64, but I didn't have the hockey version until I had mm-hmm. the GameCube. If I remember right, the Gretzky one was like one of the first four-player sports games for 64. I missed my 64. I had like 70 games for it. Really? Yeah. You only need four games for the Nintendo 64. You know what four games every Nintendo 64 owner should have? And then we'll move on to some hockey card talk. But can't I know what four games I would probably pick. They're probably not the same as yours. Well, Mario Kart for one. Mm, all right, I guess. All right, five games, we'll say that. That's that's one of my favorites of all time. Uh, Super Mario Sunshine. You're talking about N64 or GameCube? No, N64. That was Mario 64. Was it just Mario 64? Mario 64. So Mario right. 64. Keep going way back. Yeah, we're, so that one was agree. good. GoldenEye was one of my favorites. GoldenEye, that's two. Or you could probably interchange GoldenEye with Perfect Dark. I'd be okay with either one of those. Okay. And... My favorite, and you would have to take your pick on this, but was either WCW versus NWO game or the WWF. I think it was Raw is War, if I'm not mistaken. One of those two was pretty good. So for me, my four for N64 were Super Mario 64, GoldenEye, Wayne Gretzky 3D Hockey, and Star Wars Shadows of the Empire. Those were like my four games. And I remember I bought a used N64 and it just so happened that the person that I bought it from, those four games were included. And I'm just like, well, this is the eBay auction I need to win because not only is it an N64 with two controllers, but it has the four games that I wanted. I liked Ocarina of Time too. I mean, there were a lot of good games for N64. I I also like Banjo-Kazooie, but that was a fun game. Nah, I'm more of a Crash Bandicoot on the PlayStation kind of guy. Donkey Kong Country was good, too. Especially when you found the secret cave that had the old school Donkey Kong game in it. I never played Donkey Kong Country 64. And I think at that time I was probably more in the PlayStation camp anyway. Because I don't say the PlayStation games were a little cheaper, but like I had more friends who had PlayStation. And I had to play PlayStation because I wanted to play NHL 2-on-2 Open Ice. Okay, let's talk hockey cards, the rest of 2021. So I recently got my hands on some cards, and we're going to talk about these. I recently picked up a box of 2021 Ultimate Collection, a box of 2021 Premier Hockey, and a box of 2021 SP Authentic. And I had a chance to open them all, and I posted box breaks. Ultimate Collection, just to give a quick rundown. So that came out in April. So these kind of came out a couple months back, but you know what? They're new to me, so we're going to talk about them. Ultimate Collection came out in April. You get four cards per box, and the cost is $240 per box. So it's a high-end set. Premier came out the month before. came out in March. Six cards per box. Box is about $400. So now it's more expensive of a product. And then SP Authentic came out in June, and then that's more of a traditional set where... You get five cards per pack, and there's 18 packs in the box. And I've always been a fan of SP Authentic. Any thoughts on these cards? Let's start with Ultimate. How much did you say it is a box right now? Ultimate's 240 a box. I haven't looked. 240. Okay. Well, it's 275 on EPAC. I know that. Okay. 
So obviously you don't want to buy it on EPAC. Well, I mean, maybe there's some incentive or something. I don't know if they have uh, a thing on on there that's just EPAC exclusive through that or not, but. I got a decent box. I mean, my big hit on that, I got a Jason Robertson rookie autograph card numbered out of 299 I saw the picture of that. I thought that was a decent-looking card. Not mm-hmm. a big fan of Jason's autograph because it looks kind of goofy, but it looked like it's on card, too. Which It nice. is on card, and these look a lot like kind of like the Future Watch cards, you know, if you like that aesthetic. It's clean-looking. You know, and then I got a jersey card of Tim Stutzla, Ultimate Rookies, Tim Stutzla. I don't think a product like this with that high dollar per card should have plain colored swatches that don't involve something other than just that. Just the color. You think it needs to have like a piece of patch? Either that or multicolor or don't put so many. What's that one numbered out of? $4.99? $4.99, yeah. Basically 500 of those. So how many jerseys did they have to cut up to get that many pieces to put in there? Yeah, so there's probably some white ones and probably some black ones. and Nothing more frustrating than paying that much for a box and your hits like a plain white swatch. Now, yeah, but that wasn't my experience here with the other box that I opened. But I think what's interesting is that I got five cards in my box. And I don't know if this was just a mistake or if Upper Deck like kind of sweetened it a little bit because they said, hey, you know what, this product's a year late. Let's put another card in the box to kind of make it more enticing. Because the sell sheet says four cards per box, and the box says four cards per box, but I got five. I mean, I counted them three times. There's five cards. Was it that you got an extra insert? Because I remember you said you got the two of those ultimate introduction ones. That could have been it. I mean, that could have been a mistake. But, yeah, I got two of the ultimate introduction inserts, which, you know, so let's talk about that for a minute. I think that, like, when you have sets like this, I feel like inserts are just filler, you know? People want the rookie cards. They want the patch cards. They want the jersey card. They want the auto card. Maybe they want the base card if it's numbered. But when you start having, like, unnumbered inserts, it's like, who cares, right? Like, For something that's ha- that high ticket, unless it's a major impact rookie, like the two that you got, I mean. Yeah, two Russian right. guys that didn't play in Perhaps. the league last year. Crafts off is one of your hits, and the other one is Nikolai. Can I buy a vowel? Yeah. So, come on. <laughs> but, well, if they were Caprice off and Lafreniere, we'd be like, "Ooh, that's good." But yeah, again, we'd be having a different conversation. But it's yeah, but mess, just like anything else. I don't know. Like, if you're gonna get four cards per box, why don't you make it a jersey card, an autograph card, an autograph jersey card, and a base card? There you go. Instead of like. It's an insert card. It's a parallel version of the base card, but numbered out of 99 instead of 299. You know what I mean? Like, I get so tired of that stuff. I feel like if you're spending this much money, don't distract people with these inserts that nobody really asked for. Yeah. I mean, it's basically a $60 Shining Stars card that nobody wants, if you get my metaphor. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah, I understand what you're saying. Obviously, we have to up the price tag a little bit but yeah what's the collation there it's one rookie auto one mem and one additional auto yeah. mem okay so i mean look ultimate collection i think has been this way for a long time it's kind of like a feast or famine type set mm-hmm. you can hit really big or you can get skunked 
And that part of that is because the chase is those rookie autos. And so here you have a product that is technically last year's crop. So it's last year's crop of rookies. So you already know who came out on top for last year. And not only that, you know who did really well for this year. So you can take that crop of rookies and look and see, okay, who are our top tier, who's our middle tier, and who's our bottom tier. And really when it comes down to it, that entire rookie class, the top tier, not too many guys in that top tier. Right. So for something to come out at this point that's already feast or famine and be this late in the game to where you already know what your possibilities are, that makes it a little more... I don't want to say a bitter pill, but it makes it harder to definitely harder to swallow to pay that much on a per card basis, knowing that you could skunk out way more often. Well, but I think you said something interesting, though. You said now we know how the players have done for two years. And I remember in 2021, nobody was talking about Jason Robertson. No, absolutely not. Last year, everybody was like, oh, my God, this guy is good. And then they started looking through their 2021 cards and saying, oh, okay, there was somebody else besides Alexei Lafreniere and Kirill Kaprizov, you know, worth looking into, right? Same with Jake Ottinger, right? Nobody cared about him during the year that his rookie cards were coming out. And it's tough to care about goalies in their rookie year, too, because generally they don't get a lot of playing time. Yeah, they come up and they sit on the bench for 60 minutes and then they get 80 rookie cards. Right. And then they're never seen from again. Absolutely. It is kind of interesting that, yeah, the, a lot of these rookies now have had two years, but then at the same time, we have guys that basically didn't play at all last year in the case of those two Russian inserts that I pulled. And then it's just like, okay, these guys literally did not play in the NHL in 2021. One was injured, one was in the KHL. But both resigned with the teams that drafted them and both might be in the NHL next year. So, I mean, I guess it kind of sucks to, like, if you buy – a product, you open this product and you go, oh, well, this guy's already back in the KHL. This guy's already back in the Swedish Elite League. This guy hurt his ankle and he's done. I mean, a lot can happen in a year. At the same time, you have guys that four or five years later, they become really good players and then everybody's like, oh my God, this guy's good. Nobody was looking for Leon Dreisaitl during his rookie year when his cards were coming out. I don't remember anybody talking about Leon Dreisaitl then. Now his cards are through the roof because he's put together an impressive body of work over the last couple of years. I would say that's a that's a good good comparison because I, I was aware of Dreisaitl. I knew who he was, but outside of Edmonton, nobody was really going after those cards because he hadn't proven himself yet and right. showed what kind of player he could be playing with mm-hmm. arguably one of the best players in the NHL. So, But again, I, I go to... In a normal scenario, when these would be released, when Ultimate would be released in the course of a season, you would have a much higher chance of essentially crapping out, you know, when you roll the dice, because you don't really know where that body of work is going to be. Right. So now because it's so late, you have a couple years worth of statistics and product on the ice to be able to look at. So now you kind of know. So they release this product. You see what the checklist is. You see your opportunities at 
boom and bust versus what you're going to buy. Mm-hmm. It makes it a little, especially if you have a, a, a rookie class that hasn't really shown as much on the top end, mm-hmm. other than maybe one or two guys to be able to justify and say, yeah, I'm willing to roll the dice and spend 50 bucks a card or 60 bucks a card mm-hmm. to buy a box that's going to net me four cards. Right. When am I going to, even if it's just for my own collection and I'm looking for some guy from my from my team that I like, let's say you're a Dallas collector and you know that Jason Robertson was your card. Well, that might have made the box for you. But if I'm an Islanders guy and my hit is a Vitaly Kraftsoff card, not going to be too happy. No, no. So, uh, heck, if I was a Rangers guy, I might not be too happy. I like the design on those ultimate introductions. I think they look cool. Are they like more plasticky, like acetate? They are. Yeah, they kind of have more like a uh, kind of like a, uh, you know, kind of like an ice. Remember like yeah. how ice had to like acetate type cards? Yeah, I so was yeah. going to say like ice or like some of those trilogy inserts that they come out with that have yeah, those. So- like multi-layered kind of yep shiny looking that's what they are so yeah they definitely have a cool factor for that those um, are kind of cool looking i saw your scan of that legacy game card for ryan Suter, and i felt like that was kind of lame it looks just like the regular insert jersey cards there's nothing nothing has, outstanding to that to me nicer foil it has rainbow foil instead of yeah. silver foil so I really think, at least for your box, I think that ultimate rookie, that Jason Robertson, that was pretty good. Right. You know, if it's Kaprizov, Lefranier has, you know, he's kind of rebounded. He's still a popular player because he plays for the Rangers. Yeah, I mean, obviously you have. He didn't popular. come out of the box and was Wayne Gretzky. And so no. that's what ticked people off because he was hyped up so much. But the thing is, I don't know anybody that could realistically think he was going to be. No. But he's not horrible, and I think he's got a lot of potential. He's yeah. one of those projects that's going to take three or four years. So, so let's talk about now uh, Premier. Now, this one was more expensive. This was six cards per pack, and it's $400 per box. High rollers. Yeah, you're guaranteed one acetate rookie patch autograph now i got a redemption for that so it wasn't in my box and this is for dylan cousins numbered out of 99 so acetate rookie patch auto and i was like oh i can't wait to see what that looks like but then i'm still gonna have to wait to see what that looks like because i got a redemption for that but i'm like well that sounds like a really nice card because i mean let's face it the upper echelon is Rookie patch autos, right? RPAs, RPAs, everybody wants an RPA. But then it's like, how do you make an RPA better? Well, you serial number it, which I think they are anyways, and you put it on acetate. Oh, my God. Right now, it's a clear-cut RPA number. Who is your redemption for again? Dylan Cousins of the Sabres. Dylan Cousins. Yeah. So, team that's, you know, kind of a meh market, but... He's a good player on their team. He's probably going to be a great player on their team. I mean, he's started out slow, but he's building up. Is it numbered on 99? Yeah, but I don't know specifically which number I pulled. No, you you wouldn't. I haven't gotten the card yet. I just wanted to see if there's ones that weren't redemptions out floating around out there that you could see what they look like, but apparently not. 
So, I mean, in my box, so I got an autographed rookie card of Jake Evans, not numbered, which is weird. And then I got a numbered out of 299 rookie card of Liam Foodie. I got another numbered card, base card of Mitch Marner, also numbered out of 299. And then I got a couple of jersey cards, a Joel Kiviranta rookie, rookie Paramount jersey card, which is not numbered. And then a Sean Couturier of the Flyers Premier Attractions card, which is numbered out of 99. So it's kind of strange that like the signed rookie card, not numbered. You think that would be numbered, but it's not. The Jersey rookie card, not numbered, although it's an insert or whatever. But then just the Jersey card of like just a regular old NHLer is numbered out of 99. And then, you know, one thing I point this out in my box break, but like, I kind of like the fact that like the rookie cards and the regular cards or the base cards are just kind of mirror image of each other. Like they have like the same design, you know, when you see like cards and like the rookie card design varies wildly from the veteran card design but here they look almost the same they're just kind of like the design is reversed i I think that's kind of a nice touch i think the difference in premiere on the rookies is all of the rookie shots are closer they're more zoomed in yeah Um, i see that i think if you look at on the autograph one you got too if you look at that one it's more zoomed in yes and some of the regular player cards and it's funny because Upper Deck does that with Trilogy, too, with their tiering system on all of their cards that they have for their rookies, where they have Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3. And it's always like the Tier 1 is a shot way back here, Mm -hmm. Tier 2 is closer, and then Tier 3 is like a headshot. So I've seen that a lot more in Upper Deck designs lately. The one thing I don't like about this, for this price point, I feel like at this point every card should be serial numbered. Wouldn't you agree with that? It's a perfectly, perfectly good argument. I mean, look, I'll tell you this. An autograph is always going to have some value because it's an autograph. But if it's a numbered autograph, it has more value. Jersey cards to me are, I don't want to say they're junk. Jersey cards have started to grow on me over the years, depending on who they are, what they look like, if they're numbered, if they use patches, if they use multiple players, whatever. I mean, there's only so many different things you can do, but there are ones that resonate with me. I still like my Guy Lafleur jersey card where he's with the Rangers. I like my Gump Worsley Rangers jersey card because it uses a vintage Rangers jersey. You know what I mean? Like there are certain cards, the Crosby Ovechkin dual patch card that I pulled in 2010 is still like one of my favorite cards, right? But I feel that like if you're spending 400 bucks a box, every card should be numbered because the thing is, is that When you have cards from an expensive box that are not numbered, they tend to have no aftermarket value. And I know this isn't about buying and selling. We're not a show about like, oh, you're going to make lots of money buying cards and selling cards. But you want the things that you purchase to have some sort of aftermarket value. You want it to have at least some sort of trade value, right? So if I say, I have this card of this player from a team. Let's just pretend you like the Flyers. I know, just pretend, right? I have the Sean Couturier card, and it's numbered out of 99. You go, okay, well, it's a numbered insert, numbered jersey card out of 99. I'll trade you for that, right? There's some value to that. It's limited, so there's some more value associated with that. But if there's no number on this card, if it's just open run, we don't know how many there are. There's probably more than 99, 
there's probably a thousand, maybe two thousand. Who knows? It's unnumbered, right? Sky's the limit. So now all of a sudden it becomes this thing that you can find on eBay for like maybe five bucks or at a show for like a couple of bucks, right? So I feel that like if you're asking people, hey, spend a lot of money on a box of cards, number them. Even the base cards, you see that with a lot of these high-end sets where they number the base cards, right? We say nobody wants the base cards in a set like Black Diamond now that Black Diamond's all about like a hit-based set and not like a set builder set or Ultimate or Premier or Stature, right? Number the base cards and you see you see that happening a lot now, but I just say number everything. If you're going to spend a couple hundred bucks on a box of cards, have everything numbered. I don't disagree with that. But I would take it one step further, and especially at that price point, stuff numbered to four ninety nine and seven ninety nine and nine ninety nine. Stop that. That's insanity. Even out of even out of a hundred at that point, you know, you show that Couturier card. Well, yeah, that's their base one. That's just the base jersey card. It's plain one color jersey card. If you in your right mind, even if it's for Premier and it's numbered out of ninety nine. You can't possibly think that you're going to get more than 10 bucks, and that would be a great day yes, for that card. I agree. I mean, it might get five if you're lucky. Three, you'd probably sell it at three. But considering if you look at the overall checklist, there's other tier numberings to those. So why buy a $10 one numbered to 99 when you can get, for 10 more dollars, you might be able to get the one numbered to 35. Right. Or the one numbered to 10. You know, especially for a player that's not a superstar like that. So, yeah, I would take it one step further because once you hit that certain price point, you can't have that high serial number, really. And I'm not saying water because then it would be the reverse would happen is then they would water it down and like, okay, nothing's numbered more than 50, but we're going to have 73 different colors of that one. So one's numbered out of 50, one's numbered out of 40, one's numbered out of 35, one's numbered out of 30, one's numbered out of 20, one's numbered out of 10, and so on and so forth. And they're all different colors, and you think they're all different, but really, are they different? They're not. So I don't know. I don't know what the right answer to this. This has always been like one of those sticking point questions as to what would be, what would really be the price point that would be worth it to say, I'm going to shell out. 60 bucks a card or 70 bucks a card or 100 bucks a card based off of a box like this i don't know that i found that yet for myself you know another thing that's interesting is that now the cards say the game used cards they say you've received a trading card with whomever in this case i'm looking at joel kiviranta hockey memorabilia that has been certified to the upper deck company as have being worn by the featured player so they just say worn they don't say whether it was game worn. They don't say if it was rookie photo shoot worn. They don't say if it was worn at a slumber party. Which they one was that on? On all of them now. This has become the norm for jersey cards. Does it say the same thing on the Couturier? Yep. It just says certified to have been worn by the player. Same with my uh, ultimate, you know, the Stutzla, huh. worn by the featured player and the uh, Ryan Suter. Worn by, oh, wait, this one says used in an official NHL game. Okay, so some of them still say that, but I'm noticing now more and more that they're just saying worn by the player. They're not saying when or where or how. 
like I said, if it was a rookie photo shoot, if it was event worn, which everybody hates. Remember when people be like, oh, it's event worn and then they didn't want it. But now, like 10 years later, they just don't care because it features the player that they like. So it's just like, eh, whatever. Yeah, the when and where has always been the tough one. The how used to be on there sometimes. I mean, it could be worse. It could be like Panini where it says, you have a piece of something. We don't know what it is, but it's in here. Right. You know, one card that I sold at the National, I had this card for like 15 years, and I finally sold it. Although I wasn't really trying to sell it until recently. It was a Parkhurst True Colors jersey card from 2005-2006. I think they were one in every 1,400 packs. And yeah, I did buy a lot of Parkhurst that year. That was actually the set that really got me back into hockey card collecting. The particular card that I pulled had eight swatches of Rangers jerseys. So it had four on the front, four on the back. And it came with an additional card that explained where each of those jersey pieces came from. So they'd say like, this Henrik Lundqvist jersey piece is from an event-worn jersey. And this whomever jersey piece is from a game-worn jersey. And it like actually articulated where each jersey piece came from, whether it was game-worn or event-worn or rookie photo shoot-worn. They're not really doing that anymore. Now they're saying, yeah, the player wore it sometimes, somewhere. We're not sure when. Well, we're not saying when. Yeah, it's a racket. That gets into the whole legal aspect of memorabilia and putting it in cards and what the fine print says and what they're allowed to do and not allowed to do. Mm -hmm. That's above my pay grade. Yeah. So why don't we talk about a set that we've both purchased in the past and we both seem to be pretty big fans of, and that's SP Authentic. So SP Authentic Hockey came out in June, 18 packs per hobby box, five cards per pack. A box costs about $300. I've also seen blaster boxes at my local Target for about $25 a piece, which I've passed on because usually no good ever comes from a blaster box of a higher-end product. You end up just getting a bunch of base and a bunch of inserts. Yeah, you could maybe get an autograph, but SP Authentic doesn't have jersey cards. So even though jersey cards sometimes kind of become that low-end hit that you could sometimes get in like a box of like, say, Upper Deck Series 1 or Series 2. In fact, I got a lot of jersey cards in Upper Deck Series 1 last year and Series 2. But yeah, SP Authentic. So I've always liked this set as far back as I can remember. I've liked the clean design of it. I like this year's design. I like the back design, too. It's very nice. I like that they added the player photo and the team logo in circles I mean, they only give five years of stats, but that's fine. That's what SP Authentic does. It's uh, usually a colorful player photo on the front superimposed against a white background with maybe some swirls or color type things. And that's fine. That's the look of that set. And I've learned to really appreciate SP Authentic for its simplicity over the years, where you could tell that it's an SP Authentic card by looking at it. You know, they have a nice feel to it. They do this thing where, like, the card fronts have a matte coat, but then they put a gloss coat just on the player, a spot varnish just on the player. So the player himself is glossy, but the background is matte. But then there's some silver foil for the logo and for, like, the accent marks. So let me ask you a question. Do ask. If I took SP 
and I took one base card, not parallel, not a rookie, nothing. I took one base card from the one through hundred sequentially numbered cards from each year from 2014 through 2021 and laid them all next to each other. Could you confidently 100% tell me you could identify exactly which year each one came from? Absolutely not. Exactly. Absolutely not. It's almost like the same set that's been continued over and over again for 10 years. This is like if I say, okay, we're going to do a blindfolded taste test. Now, this is Breyer's vanilla ice cream, and this is Fieldcrest vanilla ice cream, and this is Dean's vanilla ice cream. And you're going to go, yup, it's vanilla, all right. Right? All depends on if it's got vanilla beans in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, I knew you had to go there. Oh, it's not French vanilla. It's just regular vanilla. Yeah, but exactly. Exactly. You get my point, though. Yeah, and you get my point because it's yeah. it's like the same recycled design over and over, and it's got subtle differences here and there. But to your point about it looking clean and being highly identifiable, absolutely, it is because that's what it is. It like sticks to the same all white with some type of contrasted either off color or team color or something in the background mm-hmm. to set the player away from the white. And that's it. It's the same thing. You're in and you're out. Now, I think part of the problem, and this is something we've talked about in the past, is that there are so many damn sets that come out each year. Sets and then insert sets. There's like, I don't want to say there's no original designs, but you might have a really great SP Authentic set one year. That looks nice, but then next year it doesn't. That's the thing. When you design, you know, 15 different sets in a year, and then each set has five insert sets, you're coming up with, what, uh, 75 different designs. So some of the stuff tends to look the same, and some of the stuff is just forgettable, right? I could think of certain sets over the years that have really stood out to me, but not many, not like the 90s, because in the 90s, you had different companies making cards, so they tried to outdo each other. But then you also didn't have one company making 15 different designs and then just saying, eh, whatever, they'll buy it. They'll buy SP Authentic, whether we put silver outline circles in the background or gold outline circles in the background. And that's the big thing is SPA is known for what? It's Future Watch cards. Yes. So the Future Watch autos... Other than Young Guns, I would probably say are probably the next most sought-after rookie card are the Future Watch Autos. Yeah, I think so, you have the Cup, you have Future Watch, and you have Young Guns, and those are the big three for hockey collecting. As far as rookie cards go, yeah, I would, yes. I would say so. And as long as they make SP and they put out the FWAs, then people are going to they're gonna go after it. So I don't think they really care what the design looks like from that standpoint. Because they're not looking for the base cards, and they're not looking for the the parallels to the base cards. They're looking for the two autographs in the box and mm-hmm. whatever the hard sign future watch auto is going to be. Right. And, you know, there there was a time back before we had extended. I think that people looked for SP to get the continuation of the high numbers in the base. But now that we have extended, that's gone. So, mm-hmm. I mean, really. That's what's driving, I think, sales of SPA is the fact that you have those future watch autos in there. As long as they keep doing that, 
they can keep using that design over and over again. The extended upper deck cards that were in SP Authentic were a reason for me to buy SP Authentic. Although I genuinely like SP Authentic, and it was a set where I'd probably buy like two boxes, try to build a base set, hopefully get a couple of good future watch autos. Mm, that'd be about it. I would never bother with any of the high numbers. You know, I think 1011, I tried to actually get all the future watch autos, which didn't happen, of course. But I remember really trying to put that set together back in the day because I just liked it so much. And also, I think Upper Deck might have had some sort of wrapper redemption. And I think one of the sets was SP Authentic. So I remember just buying SP Authentic and opening the packs at their booth because I'm just like, well, if I'm going to spend money on Upper Deck packs, I might as well buy cards that I genuinely like, you know, and I genuinely liked SPA. Yeah, I think looking at the design of most of them, especially from the cell sheet that they originally put out, mm-hmm. the only thing that really knocked my socks off as far as the designs go were those Immortal Inks. I don't know if you pulled any of those. I don't think you did, did you? Uh-uh. No, I got yeah. a sign of the times of Paul Bissonette. I saw that. Yeah. I didn't, and it's I didn't kind know of... Biz was signing again for anybody. Well, it's funny because it's like, you know, if he wasn't on TNT, nobody would really care about this. They'd be like, why? Right? Like, Why? Did I get this card of a guy who hasn't played in like five years? He still has his chicklets following too, so. Oh yeah, no, he's immensely popular. Well, I don't want to say you skunked out on that one, but you know, there were other options. Like, have you seen the the Sign of the Times, like the 80s and 90s collection? No, that sounds it's awesome. The, yeah, they're sort of retro design, but they're hard to pull. Like the mm-hmm. regular Sign of the Times are like one out of a box and a half. Mm-hmm. based off of the collation on them the other ones are like one out of 1700 packs mm-hmm. so it's much harder to pull those but they look really cool i saw the gretzky one it's a 90s one but yeah mm-hmm. the immortal inks i like the immortal ink the dual ones those are pretty cool looking and those retro sign of the times ones are nice i don't know i don't see myself dabbling in sb or SPA, I should say. I did happen to pick up a box of SP off of a retail shelf just because I wanted to see what was in it. Mm-hmm. And then I immediately regretted my decision. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Why is that? Well, I mean, they're identical to the SPA cards. They just say SP. Mm-hmm. Now, the retail version, I mean, other than that, they're basically the same. But it was really pointless. It was just a bunch of packs of base cards and some parallels. That was it. So this has parallels. There's these red parallels that say limited, and mm-hmm. uh, that's great, I guess. And then there's like this retro insert set. I guess this is from an older design. Yeah, that's uh, 2000, 2001 design. Okay. Oh, so they're just going 20 years back. Yeah. That's cool, I guess. Now Upper Deck is kind of doing that Tops thing where Tops is always doing it's the 35th anniversary of 1985. It's the 40th anniversary of 1987. It's the 20th anniversary of 1992, right? So they're always trying to... Um, Every year you have a 10-year or 20-year or 30-year anniversary of something. Or so 15-year, 35-year. You can keep, year, you can keep year. recycling the same designs forever, I guess. Right, yeah. It's in the name be. of retro until right. somebody finally decides to call you on your crap. <laughs> right, yeah. So, I mean, here's the deal. I like SP Authentic. I am having a hard time adjusting to the new price for this. Like, whereas Upper Deck Series 1 and Series 2 
went up from about 70-ish a box to about 100-ish per box, we'll just say. This went from like maybe 120, 130 a box to like 300 a box. Does that sound about right? Like, I know it's been a little gradual, but I mean, this was always a set that I could afford. It was expensive, but it was like a set that I could afford. Yeah. And now I, it's I agree. 300 bucks a box, and that's for two autographs. Yeah. There were many years where I would buy multiple boxes of SP. It was easy to do, especially mm-hmm. at shows. Mm-hmm. But if you go back and look at the last few years, even a couple years out, you were generally able to find those same boxes for less. But again, we're in that time where everybody's clamoring for everything that's not right. nailed down. Right. So, I mean, you go back even a year to like, look at the 1920 boxes. Of right. SP. If you can find anybody with inventory, they're 500 a box. If you could find anybody with 1718, they're 600 a box. So it's like these were boxes that we were getting for under 150 bucks that are nowhere near that anymore. Right. And that really just kind of takes the fun out of it because now we're competing with case breakers. We're competing with speculators. And just as I kind of got to the point where I could start buying some of the higher end stuff. I mean, I remember you and I were talking about this and I'm like, I think one time I said, Tim, I think I'm going to buy a box of the cup this year because I can actually afford a $500 box of cards. And you said, well, you ain't going to get it for $500. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it's true. So it's just, it's it's like my uh, disposable income has gone up, but the prices of the cards has also gone up. So it's still relative. You're right. And that's what everybody's facing and having right now is they have a couple extra bucks to spend on it, but guess what? You're not getting it because what you saved up for, what you saved that $200 up for might get you a spot in a case break, but that's about it. To quote a SP phrase, it's sign of the times. Sign of the times, indeed. really what it is. So uh, any last thoughts before I wrap this one up? Yeah, I mean, as far as these sets that we covered, you know, if you're still looking for some of those 2021 rookies, you know, this is your chance to get some higher end ones. But just, again, buyer beware because it's hit or miss, especially when you're hit, Jason. Those hits might not actually be hits. They might be uh, bunt sacrifices. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's why it's always important to collect what you like, because if you buy a box of hockey cards and you go, ah, I didn't get anybody good. If you like hockey, you still got the hockey cards, right? And maybe they're not the players that you wanted, but then who knows? Maybe some of them will surprise you in a couple of years. Maybe the rookie card that you pull now that you think nothing of two, three, five years later, then all of a sudden this is a popular player and you go, wait a minute, I have that guy's rookie card. I didn't think anything of it when I got it, but now I'm glad I do. So that's part of the fun part of collecting is that Sometimes uh, what doesn't meet your expectations now surprises you later on. Sometimes the thrill of the chase is more fun than the end. All right. Well, that does it then. Thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, please be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to spread the word about our podcast. We're available on all of the major podcast providers. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.